to stay in touch with all of our amazing maker friends, community members, and anyone who has insight on mindfulness, creativity, and how we meld the two. We also run a business together. We are a digital media communication consultant firm, just a fancy way of saying clients by the quarter to be your admin assistants with a whole lot of initiative, opinions, and a roadmap to the next phase of your business, organization, club. I don't know what this is yet, but it's cool and I love it thing or whatever you have going on that you want to see grown and established. Any hoozles. On Mindful Grooving, we chatted up with either just us or oftentimes a special guest. Either way, each episode comes with its very own Mindful Groove. That's a custom exercise that's facilitated by us and our freaking fabulous buds. Come check us out every week on Thursdays. Thursdays, we'll commit to it. Timeliness, we're working on it. <laughs> Come check us out when you want to shoot the breeze with us and let's groove, baby. Hey, hey, hey. Hello. Welcome back. How's it going? You're pretty good. I'm pretty good over here. Um, Today we have a special episode. We, as in Sarah and myself, Brittany, we... We're able, we have the pleasure of being guest speakers um, and guest presenters at a college prep high school in Chicago on the north side. Um, the baby cousin to my alma mater. Wait, is it an alma mater if you dropped out? Hmm, is it an alma later? If you plan to go back for the third time when you have some private university money. Oh, man. Anyway, we talked to these kids, and their project that they were working on when we came in, uh, their long-term thing, was protest art. And, yeah, you know, we had a lot of thoughts. I had a lot of my own thoughts. But we, uh, you know, did our cute little presentation thing and then opened up the room for more discussion but they were a little shy we got we got a a few questions cranked out of them but then um their teacher actually sent us a big old list of questions that had more to do with um what it is that we do and how we uh, use our creativity and mix it in with other things that are hopefully helping someone around here so you know, take a listen to me and Sarah taking on these questions and gabbing. And also, if you have any questions for us at all, you can reach out to us on the gram at Mindful Grooving. Um, that's it for now. <laughs> we'll find we'll find more uh, ways to reach out. But for now, the DM is wide open. 
And without further ado, let's just jump right in. I hope you enjoy, and I hope that you learn a little bit more about your old pals, Sarah and Brit Brat. Okay, goodbye. Hey, hey, hey. Hello, Viola Academy. It is your elder millennial friends, Brittany Harlan. And Sarah Maslinka. We see that you have some follow-up questions for us. Thank you so much for those. I'm excited to get back to you. So, you know, me and Sarah will popcorn read through your questions and just to keep... um you know, everyone anonymous will just say the questions alone. So what made you get into expression through art and dance? I'll start. <laughs> I got into dance at a young age. I didn't necessarily think that this was the path that I wanted to take professionally, but through I don't know, I guess life and needing to make decisions in life. I realized that dance and making dance was something that I was not willing to let go of. And I also found that when I did make dances, I could sort of allow my uniqueness, my quirks, the things that I kind of keep to myself, um, that they could come out in this like beautiful way through making art. And I got into art through, I was very much put into art. I was, uh, I have a family who's very involved in the church. We're in a non-denominational church growing up in Wheaton. And I was in choir and in dance ministry, which my uh, dance ministry leader, she was actually, didn't know it at the time, but she was a, um, a retired modern, professional modern dancer. And she came from New York, New York. to Sweden, uh, to teach us in the church. And so I was pretty lucky to have been introduced, um, to things like music and dance in such a personal, you know, devotional even way. So I take that with me, uh, whether or not it's for a job or not. Next question. question. Jinx, what are some ways you find inspiration to make art? Um, I am an introvert, so I think by fault, the default, that means I'm a people watcher. I like to observe um, not even particularly the actions of one person, but just kind of people, how people tend to naturally be. Um, I'm also really inspired by music. Um, yeah, I'm always trying to find new music and new ways of moving and looking up music history, all that good stuff. Uh, I This is like kind of a tough question because I think my inspirations evolve as I evolve. I was about to say involve. Anyways, as I uh-huh. evolve as a human being, as a person, the older I get, my inspiration sort of shifts. Um, I personally like to do, um, take stories, personal stories. Um, I'm kind of inspired by sharing my story um, and 
seeing how that can transform that for the community. I'm inspired by currently right now, um, some quirky videos from like the 60s, 70s, um, that are like really weird dance moves that, um, that I can't even do justice to in this answering this question. Um, and then inspiration just comes through just being in the street, like being a people watcher, just like Brittany. Um, it really can come from any place. It's just sort of being open to receiving. Ooh, and journaling. Journaling just helps. Brain dumping, you know? Mm-hmm. No, no prompt, just go. Um, next question, is it possible for one form of artwork to have multiple meanings? Totally. Yes. For sure. Especially if you are, um, you know, you just read a, a poem, read, listen to a piece of music, go look at a visual art piece, anything, any type of artistic medium you and a friend compare and contrast what you took away from those pieces. And you'll find that everybody sort of, um, depending on who they are, their experiences, everything that makes up an individual, um, will influence how they look at a piece. Yeah. I mean, journalism is an art form, right? Mm -hmm. And one piece of journalism can have a different meeting per every single person that reads it. So, uh, what would be a foundation to go further in this type of work? What type of work? We mean the arts in general, do you think? Um, the answers. Or reading. the protest art piece. What foundation to go further in this type of work? I think um, if I'm understanding by sort of reading the like context before the question, um for thinking about like textures and things like that we talked about in our presentation being in this constant state of research and development and so as you go about your process just consider that there's going to be multiple layers multiple questions that you should be continuing to ask yourself so that way you can find um those layers, that texture, add form, value to your piece, color, all those things, those, all those elements of art making. Um, the foundation is, is whatever you start, whatever your starting point may be, um, really depends on you as the artist, as the creator. Um, yeah. yeah. I would say in addition to that, just their baseline is going to be in your community. Um, a lot of us get our start in our creative journey and just are figuring out who we are creatively through the people that we hang out with. And especially at the age you are now, it's kind of like, like liking the same music, even at this stage as well. Like liking the same music is kind of like a calling card. Like, come over, maybe we have similar creative ideas so being able to be in community um collaborators friends you want to collaborate with people you look up to who might act as mentors um and then people who you want to show what you've learned to um that's gonna 
be your foundation there because then from there they can give you your community community can give you answers and resources and tell you which way they think you should go based on what they know about you because they do know you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah well stated Brittany. Uh, <laughs> thanks Sarah. <laughs> thanks man um how do you think art has been affected by the pandemic how has the transition to online mediums worked or maybe been more difficult (sighs) thoughts on this (laughs) um okay do you do you want to start Brittany? yeah to like prevent from ranting i'll give myself like a time period to end (laughs) all right so everything has been affected by the pandemic right um, and everyone has had different experiences and in different areas in their art journey. So I can just speak for myself. Um, art has been, my art has been affected in some really, in the positive way, it has really widened my horizons for what kind of artist I am. Um, I've been really in the kind of dance realm of things for years and years now, decades at this point. And so I've really identified as a dancer for a good chunk of my life with, even though I started music at the same time. Um, So I was able as the isolation went on to kind of come back to those parts of myself that I um, didn't acknowledge as much as my dancer inside of me for whatever reason. And, you know, I started to draw more and I started to write screenplays and make terrariums. And, you know, it really spread out, um, one, because there's so much time and then two, so much time to reflect on who you are and what you want. It really let me be more full of a creator and a creator in general. Um, How has the transition to online mediums worked? or maybe been more difficult. I mean, so much Zoom. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just Zoom, you know? And where we live. Yeah. Which is interesting because, you know, I don't think a lot, like Zoom used to be this very corporate thing that I didn't even really have to mess with. It was like Skype and Google Hangout, if anything. So I've gotten to learn um and be exposed to kind of more tech related things I didn't have to worry about like I never uh remote controlled someone else's screen I was like that's IT territory and I never will do it and I never need to so it's um also widened my mindset on on what kind of maker and worker that I am like I am actually you know more into tech than I thought that I was. And I am actually more uh, capable of communicating using technology than, than I thought, even though you wouldn't think so when I teach dance, because I'm like, my children help me turn on <laughs> the music um, everywhere I go. But yeah, it's helped me flex those muscles and be more confident um, in my ability to communicate via mm-hmm. wherever I am, which has been cool yeah um from my my experience I can agree 
with some of the elements that Brittany shared. So when I first, it was interesting because I first moved to LA, I decided I was going to take this period of rest, not retirement necessarily from dancing um, and being an artist, but just, you know, going inward and reflecting on, um, you know, reflecting on myself and my needs and my interests as well as getting settled in a brand new city. And just at that point of being ready to dive back in the world shut down. Um, and I haven't been like everybody else working from home, um, which I, at least from my perspective, because I have, I worked at Whole Foods um, not a plug for Whole Foods, but do like to shop there now. Um, Whole Foods, <laughs> I worked at Whole Foods throughout the entire pandemic. Um, so that brought on a lot of stress and anxiety because I'm exposing myself, um, every single day, as well as picking up the anxieties and, um, energy that the anxious energy of everybody <laughs> in the store trying to get in and out. So, um, being, so the pandemic basically has impacted my sense of my, my artistry in the sense that I just needed to sort of like survive, keep myself together, check my mental health. Um, and now as we're sort of transitioning, um, from the thick of it, it's more so similar to Brittany, like exploring these other, uh, facets of my, my artistry getting really into learning like, um, graphic design and, um, animation sometimes. Um, and now I, now I feel like because I'm not in this stressful state, I can start to begin to explore what it means to make. Um, but also similar is just, you know, like everybody else, we've had to figure out the tech piece and how to engage and, be a community and feel each other's presence, um, in a technological way. So that's sort of the biggest challenge for me is how can I form community? Cause that's my favorite part is, is producing and, um, nurturing, creating these events, performances that people can engage in. So how can we do that in a tech space? Okay. <laughs> Lots mm -hmm. to say on that one. <laughs> yeah. Before we recorded, we're like, we're going to do rapid fire. And then popcorn, it's like, popcorn. we don't do that. Uh, that's not our <laughs> lives. How important is color in art? Do you use color in your art throughout your everyday life? Yes. And I'm going to add, because there's a similar question, would it be better to dim any otherwise bright colors in a piece that is for social justice to maintain a certain tone? So um, you're muted. A two-parter. It's a two-parter. But color is mood. It's emotion. So... Um, it really can depend on the story that you're trying to tell um, and what mood and emotions you want to evoke. And so that can be, even in a piece, I think that is more, um, that is more socially conscious. You, you don't necessarily have to shy away from um, brighter tones. It just all depends on the story or that like that takeaway message what is what is it that you want your audience 
to experience. Yeah, I mean, color is a tool for many things, but one of them that comes to mind is symbolism. So, you know, this follow-up question where it says, would it be better to dim any other, any otherwise bright colors in a piece that is for social justice to maintain a certain tone? You know, just that question tells me a lot. It's, it's saying it's real dim out here when it comes to mm-hmm. social justice. So like, that's, that's interesting to think about. Um, but there's, you know, juxtaposition. I've seen a lot of works where they make everything look like this utopian fun world and then the town is burning (laughs) behind them, you know? So it really just depends on what tone you want to take and then uh, what kind of lens you want to put over what you'd like to speak about. Um, I feel that in my pieces, the colors that I use, even if it's not the forefront, I... I like to make very ethereal works and I want to make it feel a little bit like you're stepping out into a world that's very alien, but very natural at the same time. So I see a lot of like light pinks and greens and like deep oranges and like little terracotta pots and stuff like that. And, you know, that could just be for aesthetic purposes. It could be because I don't really uh, like a bold primary color for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, a lot of it has to do with your personal preference too. Um, but yeah, color holds, you know, it can invoke certain emotions just kind of scientifically. It can hold energy. So I'd say it's pretty important. Mm -hmm. But just to add too, like, uh, it's like a point of view or perspective because it could also guide the the viewer's eye. Um, mm-hmm. And I do, I just want to highlight like juxtaposition to juxtapose is like, I don't know, like it goes just so synonymous with like making art and being in a creative process. I feel like just juxtapositions, why can't I say that word right now? It's just in a very important device and tool that you can use um, in your creative process. Yeah. It's kind of like asking a question without having to be explicit. Mm-hmm. Okay. What made you want to switch from a regular dance to what you do now? Life, man. <laughs> I was like, uh, years. <laughs> that's you know, a very da- that's a very dancer question because it's yeah. very much laid out. Um, that we, 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 as an industry, as a community are here until let's say after a certain point of life. And then you kind of have to figure out on your own what it is, which is about, about this age right now (laughs) that we are at plus or minus a year. Yeah. I think it's important to remember that like, at, like when I was 16, 17, I had this vision for myself and I have my passions, but I also like my, my path of getting to this point now has been very nonlinear. I followed my passions in life, but I've also allowed the path, the nonlinear path to, um, show me things and teach me things. And, um, you just, yeah, just being open to the process of life and like really nailing down like 
what is my what is your vision for yourself yeah we're almost what is 30 so you know life right yeah and um (laughs) it's interesting because one school of i'll just say perception will say that at a certain age you see that in if you follow any sort of dance things like with American Ballet Theater, Misty Copeland, they said that she was to this and to that to um, perform and to be a principal dancer. And yet some she's, she's who some people come to see specifically now when mm-hmm. they go to see that particular theater company. Um, on the other side, dance very, not very long ago, um, no more than, you know, a few hundred out of however many millennia, everybody was a dancer. And it was not a profession or a thing that you do on a stage. It was a way that we all communicated, time to eat, time to get married, time to go to war, all that. And so the notion of being too whatever to be a dancer uh, didn't exist yet. And it was a little uh, alien, which brings me to what uh, regular dance is there's always going to be a different definition of what regular anything is. And you'll soon find out that there's no such thing as regular. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for example, the programs that I went into with dance, they varied varied very differently to the point where when I got to an institution that told me that this was regular, this was dance, this was standard, I had to disagree because I knew that there was so much of a scope of what it could be. So I think um, what made me want to switch to what the regular understanding of dance was to what I do now is knowing how holistic it is to my life rather than something that I put up on a shelf when I'm done working. Yeah. 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 Uh, how do you make strong symbolism within dance and other arts? I like to play with motifs. Um, so a lot of my pieces will have some sort of movement that's a theme. Um, if I were to show you my notes in terms of how I like to stru- like structure, build out my choreography and how I play with the devising, the making of um, my works with my dancers, my movers, um, it's like you've got A and then you've got A1, A2, A3. Um, so just varieties, all different varieties of the same thing. And then you add I add layers. So it's a motif that's built on, that I build off of and around. Hope that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How do I make strong symbolism within the dance? I don't pay too much attention to like inserting symbolism, but I Now that I think of it, I do try to create this theme in which instead of being like jazzy, jazz, jazz up to the front, um, performing out to this audience, it's more of like we're a fishbowl or an aquarium that's kind of put on this platform. And it's like, you can look, but we're just over here doing our own thing. (laughs) And whether or not you are here, 
this is what we're doing. So it's kind of like creating this anthropological vignette <laughs> um, that I use to, to make the whole thing a symbol. And so it's not so um, static of a beginning, middle, end storyline, which is a great and powerful uh, way to take in. But yeah, I try to make a portal of some sort for people. Nice. Okay. Um, how do you, how did you realize that art is beyond just looking at a picture? Hmm. I had to have a piece of art move me emotionally, not because it was like technically good or because a bunch of other people liked it, but it had to move me um, and either inspire me or heal me or tap into some emotion that I needed to. But yeah, pretty early on, mostly with music. Um, I, so my, I feel like the biggest realization I had had was this experience in this poetry class that I was in and, um, everybody in that class was, um, studying poetry as their major. They were like creating creative writing majors. And I was just taking this class as, uh, I don't know, as an elective. And, um, I just remember everybody wanting to like be able to define it and be like, this is what this poem is about. And I, and I had, I, I don't know. I just remember that I had this moment that clicked. That was like, it really could be anything. <laughs> and it's all about how, what your experience was and what it, it meant to me when I was reading that poem and what it meant to me again afterwards. Or it could also mean completely nothing to me because it, it just is not connecting with my experience in that moment in time. So, um, it, it just, it just, I guess it's just something sort of clicks and it's observing how, observing what it does within you. Mm -hmm. And one more thing to add to it. I feel like you can certainly feel something, um, that's big screen and commercial and all that, but I challenge you especially as you enter into your post-graduation years to go find uh, smaller scale art, weird art, because that'll, weird, that'll, yes. yeah, that'll tap into yeah. something that, you know, it may not even be deeper or anything, but like, it's, it's, it's like striking a, such a specific nerve that not a lot of maybe big productions even pay attention to because it's not the big the the big feelings um I think that'll help you get more oriented in yeah. seeing what art can be beyond yeah. pretty pictures on the wall yeah uh, yeah it's so important to go see that art that is like quote-unquote weird or it is like not yeah we say like weird but not not derogatory but no, just no but something goes away that's like it. I've never unique authentic like I've never there seen that before mm -hmm. and even if you don't connect with it like still notice what's going on like sometimes I've been to pieces or like performances specifically where I had no understanding but I felt angry 
<laughs> from my experience. I felt anger. So I needed to pause after the show and think, okay, what is it about this that caused anger within me? I mean, it doesn't have to be some deeper thing every single time. <laughs> you could just say mm -hmm. it made me angry because I didn't like it. But um, <laughs> yeah. it could be pulling something up that is not necessarily um, at your surface level. So be open. Ooh. Okay. Let's get that next cue. Next question. <laughs> um, another color question. Um, so I'm going to, I think we covered it. Um, but oh, here, how did, and how did you, find, you find your yep, passionate how did you dancing? Find your, mm -hmm, how did you find your passionate in dancing? Mm. Cute parties. <laughs> I really like to try to think about another because like I didn't I didn't find passion in the studio. I found discipline is like yeah. massive amounts of information and education and foundation, but like house parties, dancing with your friends and having a you know the music that you like and not really thinking about it and no one's really looking at you like it's a performance so you're just doing right. your thing but you have all this energy and these people and these like this good energy um but yeah yeah not juke parties but just yeah dancing. you can google juke party <laughs> you've never been to one. <laughs> but yeah outside of the studio that's where the passion developed for sure for me too yeah um so this is fun. Um, how do you normally go about completing a project? Is it best to work in short bursts where you work very intensely or in long sessions? Uh, that depends on you and your process. Um, every process can be different too. Um, I think. If you're working in a collaboration, I think it's important to have that independent time of making and then coming back together and then devise together. There's no, I don't know. I have no idea how to answer this <laughs> <laughs> because it can uh, really, it can really vary. Uh, yeah. Again, no normal. Mm -hmm. no I mean, normal. we've like, we've been a part of processes that have been years in the making and, and not that it was like every single day. It was like, okay, small bursts of time at a focus at a time. But then we've also worked in processes like, hey, it's two weeks from today is the thing. So it depends. Yeah, I would say the only constant I have when completing a project is holding myself accountable by continuing to write it down. So not even just writing it in a planner, journaling about it, writing um, down mind maps around certain ideas. Um, and then the second part, is it best to work in short bursts when you work very intensely or in long sessions? Um, when it comes to the nitty gritty, more logistics uh, focused parts of completing a project, I like the short bursts. So productivity wise, I, I like to take these 90 minute slices um, and just go, 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 and then take a 30 minute break. 
to do whatever. And then just keep on doing that um, for however long term I want. And then when it comes to the long sessions, that happens sometimes if I get like a rush of energy, I will just go with it. Or if the inspiration takes me there, I will not force myself for a super long time. I don't think that's productive. Um, when I'm collaborating, when we have the space and the freedom to figure things out, those usually happen in longer sessions. Um, so I like to do those. Let's see. If I scribbled on a piece of paper, would you consider that art? If I thought it was. Would you? You want to debate? <laughs> what do you think? Um, you know, there's a whole movement of postmodern artists, um, but all these artists were trained and they decided it was like to go against convention by, by uh, at least I'm speaking more so from the history that I know of dance history, uh, but they went against convention and were doing more pedestrian movements where it was just walking. Um, so it's up for debate. It's up. It's, I guess in a theory, yes. If you said it was art, put it up in an art gallery. Yeah. I guess we could call it art, but, uh, what the audience takes away from it may be something else. Maybe that anger that I was talking about, or <laughs> not sure what they're experiencing. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think it is. If you think it's art, then okay, fine. It's art. Um, you might not even have that postmodern sentiment, but uh, as a, I feel like I get called a non-traditional dancer or a non-traditional artist or a contemporary artist. And I don't think I'm any of those things. I actually think I have a lot of, diasporic rooted movement that's hundreds of years old in my body so that's the the label of art I'm kind of for expanding it to any form of expression to any degree because you know there's also the the very technical you see you compare it to scribble like if I'm comparing it to a very technical oil painting to this conservatory level person but they've never gone out and lived life it's just a bunch of you know commissioned garden photos which is pretty mm -hmm. but maybe you're saying a little bit more with the scribble than that person is mm -hmm. yeah mm. Mm, yeah how, how did protest art begin um that's a that's a really great question I don't necessarily know like the the root you know when it started for you or like when you started to understand how to communicate those things through art so I realized um see the interesting thing is I didn't realize that some of the art that I was experiencing was activism art until like someone said this is activism art, you know? Um, so for me, that was like, I want to say, uh, like after college, 
when I found myself in the space of other people trying to create socially conscious work. And um, like, I, I don't know, I guess I just didn't realize that art could, could be used in this context and like bring community, engage community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I think of, I don't know for sure, I'm no art historian, but when I think about a little bit of the history, I think about propaganda art and yeah. things like how even in cartoons or like Popeye the Sailor Man or Baby but there's always some kind yeah. of, you see that when looking at um, old cartoons that aren't from your country, especially. It's like, oh, they clearly had a very deliberate message and there were, you know, people who were making art in the same mediums and otherwise who were creating maybe the counter of that. And that's a version of protest art. Um, and then for me, I I have to say sometimes making the art you want to make is protest art alone. Cause I feel like there is always going to be some sort of critic and you should do it this way. And this is the real way. So there's this sort of existing as resistance energy that you could bring to just being true to yourself when I, with whatever you make defining what that significant is significance is uh for yourself yeah um cool i yeah i have more thoughts but you know popcorn question vibe um next question i, I mean you could ask, keep going no i yeah i'm i'm okay i'm gonna leave it i think you you, you summed it up good um okay. i would ask if either of them us have a favorite work of protest art that is connected to the social issue of sexual assault and how that was presented because I think it is such a complex issue that there are a plethora of mediums for protest art to be done on. Um, there is more than just physical art and could be music or dance and I'd be interested to hear their perspective on it. Yeah. So I actually just saw this um, demonstration. It was a dance kind of rooted demonstration. I believe it was in Colombia. So if I'm understanding correctly, I've been in and out and figuring out what exactly is going on, but these state sanctioned acts of violence, at least that's what I, that's the media that's getting to me. Um, but there was this march, I believe, going on with Colombia with all of these women. And they have this, it's in Spanish, but there's this chant that pretty much is covering the topic of sexual assault. And it's, you know, I'm not saying the exact thing, but it's pretty much saying that the fault is not mine. And, you know, the attacker is you. And it's like, even, even the, the sheer amount of, of women that you see and them saying the same things together and there being movement associated with that and the, the protective movement of covering and crossing over, you know, your vital organs that, that, uh, chemist, that, uh, body language. And then that pointing the audacity and the courage to say you 
you did this, you won't do the regular shame thing where something happens to me and somehow I feel I'm responsible. So it's kind of this, um, to me, it was kind of this, this community healing and this reckoning. And so that was, you know, that's at least these days, one of the favorite ones that I've seen, because it's not this like art piece. It's um, the priority is community and solidarity and, and bringing to face what the reality is and bringing um, your own validation in the realness of your story. Um, she says, I think this is a complex issue. There are a plethora of mediums for artists art to be done on. There's more than just physical art. It could be music or dance. I'd be interested. Okay. So for me, because, you know, I'll be transparent. I am a, I'm a violence survivor. And so I think about this pretty long term. Cause I think I'll always include talking about this in my artworks. And so I haven't really put this big piece out that's specifically for it, but I have um, explored very building block topics. Like in dance, there is contact improv. And when there's a really great contact improv facilitator and teacher, it can become this really beautiful practice and center of education of consent. Um, It's this understanding of how to relate to people physically in a way that is safe and clear and communicative and respects boundaries. And so with dance, um, uh, contact improv, if you guys wanted to look up, you know, videos of what that looks like and the kind of trust that is able to be built. Um, cause I'm someone who, you know, don't touch me <laughs> as a general rule, but you know, in that space, you can, you know, roll all over the place and have people flip you over their back and it's, and it's all good. So it's, um, the art of creating and holding space like that and creating not just, uh, capital S capital S safe spaces, but real actually safe spaces to where someone uh, having that trauma informed care, if someone is a survival of any sort of physical assault, how do we create a space where they feel that this is a completely separate opposite intention situation so that they can have access to their bodies again and feel safe to share them in the same space as these other bodies. Yeah, for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when I think about, I'll answer it in two parts like you did. So pieces that have been really like, they, they still stick out in my memory. Um, Columbia again, uh, they did a, there was more like um, turn in your, the, the survivors would turn in their underwear that they had during their attack and um, they would be converted into paper. And then the paper would be, uh, would have a message, some sort of messaging on it. Um, that was really like, that was like, they were making the art with the community. That was, um, that, that piece really stuck out to me. I've also seen pieces um, where they kind of talked about the, the, woman's, the woman's body, the, the 
as a spectacle, um, Regina as a magician. Um, that was uh, another way of presenting it. That was like a collection of um, activist pieces in one. So from, from those are some things that, that just really stuck out in my memory. I, I feel like in this moment, I'm blinking maybe on others that have really stuck out. But um, as an audience member, I think it's just really important to remember, or as someone who's making, it's important to consider your audience member um, and the traumas that, that, they, that your audience member may have experienced or maybe they haven't experienced. Um, because especially dealing with these topics of trauma, um, you know, these are, these are harder topics to talk about. Um, uh, and so having the resources there and available for your audience is um, super, super important so that they uh, have a place to fall back onto. Um, I think it's also another um, opportunity to kind of talk about like therapy on stage and like how much, what is too much or, you know, uh, if it is too much and sort of what that boundary is, especially when we're talking about trauma. I am a survivor as well. I have, um, I have made a piece that was around my own story, but I tried in my process to make it um, something that it wasn't necessarily about my specific trauma, but it was a way that the audience, whoever was experiencing the piece could relate in their own sort of level. So that's, that's how I sort of try to be authentic to myself, but also be authentic to the experience of the the audience member. Um, so if anything from this rambling that I'm doing right now, I think the biggest takeaway is if you are doing something with a heavier topic, especially around sexual assault or any other sort of trauma that is going to be, um, that is, can be very triggering to your audience member is to remember to to have those resources available for them so that if they are triggered, they have some place to go to, you know, to, to, to kind of avert the sort of crisis that they might be experiencing from that trigger. Right. And a lot of, um, just in spirit of inclusivity and just the reality of it, there's no, there's no gender on who has been a survivor and who, you know, commits, those violent acts. It is statistically overwhelmingly people who identify as women, but there are, you know, male and non-binary, um, and especially trans survivors, um, and victims also of, of that kind of violence. So yeah, I'm glad that you're asking that question just because it's heavy doesn't mean it's, um, a subject to be, you know, put over. Like if anything, those are the ones that need to be brought to light. Mm -hmm. uh, what's it like to show and talk about your artwork to other people? Um, it's cool, but it can be weird and, and slightly uncomfortable um, because it's such a personal thing, making art, and then you're being extra vulnerable by sharing that art. And then people can come in, especially as a professional working professional artist, 
people can come in and critique your work and write up your work. And um, not everything that they're going to say is positive. So it's, um, it's really about finding your voice and the confidence within your voice um, to know that like whatever you're putting out there, like you're proud of it, you stand behind it, you stand behind yourself and your artistry, your vulnerability. Um, yeah, Brittany? <laughs> I think that's Martha Graham. She was saying um, what the audience thinks of my work is none of my business. That's on that front. That's how I feel. But uh, but when it comes to sharing with people that you do know or, you know, the community and things like that, it can be a little strange feelings because I I'm a shyer person and you think it would be kind of backwards to do something that is on stage if you are a shy person. But there's this very, you know, apparent veil and which is kind of a a barrier and an armor (laughs) from these other people so it's it's different than being in a giant room at a party or something like that Mm -hmm. but to talk about my artwork to other people I know its importance I know in order to get people either on board or something that you're doing for collaboration, you, you are going to have to know how to speak about your work and what your intention is. But if I have the choice, I would much rather um, just present it. Uh, that be the only language I'm using, just uh, thanking people for taking the time out to experiencing it. Maybe just some words on uh, what it means to me, but not even that really. Just um, enjoy or do whatever you want with it (laughs) yeah um how effective would you say your dances have been in spreading your message to the audience has there been anything you learned over the years that helps the message spread better um so i guess this this can kind of relate or snowball from Mm -hmm. the other question that we just um answered so you have i mean especially in this professional context, you, you know, you're trying to get grants or funding for your project. So you've got to be able to talk about your work. Um, and then when you're making it, you obviously want it to be reflective of that, that message that you're trying to convey. For me, this is, oh, this has been like a process of trial and error. Um, and like stepping into my maturity I guess as a as an art maker, I've I don't like to I don't like to create pieces that necessarily are cookie cutter and like you can un, you can watch and be like yes this is about cutting an apple um, I I'd rather be like yes it's about cutting an apple but what did you see like what was your takeaway um, I want the audience to sort of form their own um, their own message from this piece so but I also want them to be I've realized like, okay, I can't be completely open. I need to, I got to use my, the different devices and tools in the art, the prop, my creative process um, so that I can at least let them be in line what the main message was for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And then just to let y'all know, we will be finishing these in rapid fire, just so you won't have to have a part one and part two in the classroom situation. <laughs> so um, how effective would you say your dancers have been in spreading your message to the audience? Um, I don't come in with a specific message. I don't want my pieces to feel like an advertisement. My intention is truly just to share. And so I feel, you know, people get the the energy, at least of what I am putting out there. What I'm working on in my specific practice is to start to be a little bit more specific. And if I want to deliver a message and uh, fixing, not fixing, just improving my ability to uh, send a clear message, if that's what I feel like doing. Um, if I could take one thing. Oh, 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 it has a preface. Here we go. If I could take one thing, it would be how important criticism is to art and social relevance. How important do you think it is for the youth to have a safe place so that they can express themselves? <laughs> so important. Very important. Um, but Brittany and I are both, um, both educators and teaching artists and... You know, that I leave, I'll speak as myself as a teaching artist. That's my main objective is to form that safe space, that safe environment where my students do feel comfortable to express themselves, to come to me with their issues and that I could support them as best as I can is also like allow them that safe space to be creative and allow that expression to flow through their creativity. Um, so, yeah. Yeah super important it's very important and it doesn't because you can create art solo and you can create art with friends it doesn't need to even have the presence of a, a teacher or anything in there there should be definitely those elders in the community making space so that you can do your thing but yeah it's a. Uh, you guys already know what it is you're the future leaders so important um if i da, 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 is there a good way to use protest art for any issue i'm gonna say yes <laughs> and we're gonna move to what is your favorite part of creating art or protest art specifically uh my favorite piece of or part of the creative process or just is not is more so like sharing the sharing aspect i like i mentioned earlier i really enjoy producing a show so my favorite part is all the elements that i can bring together at um at the show level so it's not just what's on stage or i like in the past, I've tried to get like um, an art gallery set up. I have, you know, organizations that come through. I've had jewelry makers. We have like a little concession stand. So just trying to cultivate this experience of community and conversation and engagement. That's my favorite um, part. Um, I enjoy collaborating with people. And so I get, I'm very thankful every time you know, people show up to a rehearsal that I'm running and, you know, there's a whole crew that's willing to get my technical life together just so I could 
share an idea I had that was just in my head maybe a year ago. Um, I think we answered how do we become passionate about art and dancing. That's a little bit of us talking about our origin story. So our last question, what is our target for the, our company and what works and how do we hope to, what do we hope to achieve by the presentations of dance? Also, how did we first come upon the idea of dancing and expressing issues through movements and actions? I think we did answer that second part. So let's just focus on what's our target for the company. Um, and then how do we help to achieve that through dance? So simply the company is, is a collective of artists for artists. So we're enabling other artists to be able to do um, and live their artistry. Um, and we have separate sort of entities within this company. So I think the most simple boiled down version is just is artists for artists and supporting supporting artists and their creative voices and um, allowing that allowing them to help them by helping them to foster this foundation so that they can make their art and put it out into the world. Yeah, and just uh, practically speaking, a dance presentation is not just including a, a group of dancers. There are musicians and composers and costume designers and lighting techs and marketing directors. And it just, it really takes this entire village of majority creatives. And so when we commit to uh, putting on a quality production with all of the correct bells and whistles that, you know, we want to hold ourselves um, to that standard, we include uh, just by default uh, more and more community members. And that enables them to have, you know, references of what they can do so that other organizations or collaborators might take them on. And so it creates this supportive network of um, just putting faith and stock in our community and actually putting our money and our show programs where our mouths are and doing this, doing this big collaborative thing with our artist friends and our new artist friends and the friends that we'll make in the process. Oh, well, that was our last one. I don't know if we went over an hour yet, but uh, <laughs> thank you so much for these questions. Uh, thanks for taking what we spoke about before and just putting a little bit of extra thought uh, and reflection behind it. We appreciate that. And we hope that we answered all of your questions. Yes. Ditto to what Brittany said. Thank you again um, for your questions. Thank you again for inviting us and allowing us to come into your Zoom slash classroom space um, and, you know, talk about art and art making and, and how to be more you know, conscious in your art making. So good luck on your, your projects. I know you guys are probably wrapping up soon at the end of this month. So all the best wishes guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Mindful Grooving is an Agoon Artist Collective production hosted by Sarah Mislenka and Brittany Harlan theme song produced by Kenneth Leftridge show engineered by Josh Luis 
If you want to hang out with us after the show, follow us on Instagram at mindfulgrooving or head over to mindfulgrooving.com. See all the platforms we offer the pod on and check out more UNARDIS productions. See you soon.